everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Andre, trade deadline week. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm probably a little better than you are right now, having to check your phone every two seconds with uh, with trade deadline oh, week. Uh, nope, just spam. Just spam. Hit <laughs> <laughs> delete. Yeah, I remember how hectic this time of year is. So I'm sure your phone's blowing up pretty soon. It's going to get worse as we get closer to to this Friday. So. Um, so, yeah, so it should be interesting to see. I mean, at least you got a busy deadline. It's always good you have the busy deadline when the team is either in it or like this where you're already way ahead of time aiming for the future. So Yeah, and with the aiming for the future, we know the big names. We've talked about them. And for the most part, the guys who are looking like they're potentially or almost definitely going to be on their way out have a good, have a good final homestand. I mean, uh, Starling Marte this last week, Hit 429 with a 520 on base percentage, stole two bases. His season batting average is back over 300. He's at 303. Jesus Aguilar, three-game hitting streak with three RBI to close out the series against the Padres, which the Marlins went two and two and two it. They won two and lost two, which mm. is a big development just for the Marlins in that point. We'll touch on that a little bit later. And that included with Aguilar, the go be go ahead RBI hit in Saturday's win. Adam Duvall hits in five of his last seven games and includes another pair of home runs up to 22 on the season. And again, Aguilar and Duvall are one and two when it comes to RBI total in the national league. Mm -hmm. And then the bullpen arms have been, they've been collectively having a nice, having a nice, they had a nice series against Padres. They've had a good week overall. If you exclude that 18 to one drubbing against the nationals that, I think it, what was it? Detweiler gave up four home runs and only got three outs, I think was the final tally in that game. But overall, the Marlins have some bullpen piece that can go, that could potentially be flipped and returned for pieces of the future. Jimmy Garcia would be the most reasonable name. Sort of do what they did with Sergio Romo a couple of years ago. Flip your closer to a team that needs a seventh, eighth inning guy and try to get a high prospect in return. Potentially one of your, one of their lefties, uh, whether it's Detweiler or Blyer, Blyer really coming on strong over the last month, month and a half or so. Or if they're able to get something for a Dylan Floro, possibly even they could try to pursue that Avenue as well. Yeah. I mean, everything's on the table. I mean, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to, and, that, and this is fortunate timing. You're talking about the two wins or the Padres, but no, the four, the wins are this kind of production now to kind of remind teams, you know, what these guys can do down the stretch, you know, for them, should they have, the right price to to acquire them and if i'm the marlins yeah i mean i be selective too because they need to find you know obviously pieces that they identify and can and and really look like you know don't just get like maybe low-end guys just because you know you want to get value from these players to be able to continue your 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 building process and and really i think this year the bullpen is a is an area that's going to have to be addressed as we talked about but you, I know you posed the question of who replaces some of these guys who are in such key spots. I mean, you're caught, you're caught in between giving guys a chance from the, from the minor league levels, which you want to do to further guys' development. But at the same time, you have to accept the fact that it's going to be harder to get wins down the stretch. But in a lost season, what matters is, again, the development of these guys. So, you know, we'll talk about the farm later and who's performing and who's not. But even, I'll give you – but to give an example – this will transition to, you know, some of the replacements we're going to talk about. Lewis Brinson, we, we, we discussed on our last pod how this is the time right here. This may be his last chance. Let's give him a shot. Let's give him these final, 
you know, two plus months or whatever and see if he can finally, you know, earn some, you know, put some results and some consistency at the major league level. Well, this weekend he was off to a good start for sure. Yeah, definitely. With Brinson, since he got called back up on July 19th, he's had a hit in all five games in which he's had a plate appearance. 357 batting average, five for 14, two doubles, the three-run home run that he smoked on Sunday, two runs scored. Uh, and then we know what he can do defensively. He's an above, he's yeah. an average to above average defender, which you're gonna need, you're gonna you're gonna take that compared to some of the other options that they do have at this and, point, especially and, when you're gonna need someone in center field. Right. And been better. I remember as a rookie, he struggled a little bit defensively. I've made a few errors here and there, but it, he's he's you know, he's honed that up, he's toned that up pretty good. He's better at that. And especially this is an area where probably most of the moves are going to happen. It sounds like Marte and Duvall seem to be the names. I think Peter Gammons this morning again yeah. you know, reiterated that those are the names that are being mentioned a lot. So that's where you're going to have you know, some holes to fill. But a guy like Brinson right there, I mean, you never know. He could end up starting the rest of the way there in center field. And then you have you know, a pretty good sample size to, to look at and analyze whether or not he's still a part of this long-term plan. Yeah, and then other guys just in house. Obviously, they still have Magnery Sierra, who's been off coming off the bench, made us makes make some spot starts in the corner outfields. Defensively, can play center. Guys, first RBI of the season on Sunday, RBI double. Which no, again, just looking at the at bats. I mean, when you see a guy batting two sixty, you just think, yeah. okay, things are gonna happen. But when you realize he goes one hundred and forty play appearance for driving one in, it just one of those loopy parts of the season. Yeah. But again, still a steady That's, piece that yeah. can be the holdover until. They have guys ready in the minor leagues. Obviously, Jesus Sanchez, yeah. once he comes off the IL, is going to be a very steady point, another pro- the prospect that they need to see the progress from. And we'll see what they do with any of their AAA guys if they're confident enough to move any of them yeah. up. That's always like Sierra Moore as the leadoff guy. He should be the table setter, scoring those runs with that yeah. crazy good speed that he has that more than driving them in. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then if Jesus Aguilar does end up being traded, obviously the main thing would be bringing up Lewin Diaz at first base. Definitely. Potentially when Garrett Cooper comes off the IL from that elbow injury, righty Cooper, lefty Lewin can always do a platoon type situation if need be, if you yeah. want to just ease Lewin in early on. And then relievers, as you mentioned, it can, depending on what moves they do make, you can always move Floro from eighth to ninth. If he's still on the team, they've used him in safe situations when Yimmy wasn't available. You can always move Anthony Bass back to that, that mm. spot, which you did the first few games, and we all don't hit delete people. Don't out. hit delete. <laughs> don't hit delete people. Please don't hit delete. If Richard Blyer's still here, I could see them giving him some shots. I mean, he's been pretty yeah. steady again. Like I mentioned, been steady these last couple months, and again, it gives you a lefty option down there. Anthony yeah. Bender, yes, he has de- he has regressed considerably over these last couple weeks. He went from a zero ERA to all the way up to about 2.5 now. But when you have a guy with that stuff, with the sinker that hits 96, 97 with movement and a swing and miss slider, it's just, you got to give him the reps to see if there's a chance he can evolve into the role. Yeah. And it's just hard. It's just this, not only this, what you're talking about, about who gets which closer role and the high leverage of seventh, eighth inning guy, but innings management too. Yeah. I mean, down the stretch, a lot of these guys have been used a lot. We've talked about it a lot and now with the starter injuries, I know we're going to get to that soon, but even more paramount to really just, you know, think of the long-term effect of not burning these guys too much, you know, be smart about it and just use, you know, not just use guys in certain roles. And really, I mean, 
you you hope that they're going to be in a lot of these situations. But if the roster takes a hit naturally by looking more at the long term, you may find yourself a little less in those save spots, which naturally then you're going to. That's what I mean. Like it, it, the bigger thing is just look at innings management and how you do that with guys who are going to have, make starts. You know, we've seen some of them already come up and and be able to do that with guys out. You know, like Braxton Garrett, who's been able to come up and make a couple starts. Your boy, your namesake, Holloway, <laughs> as well. You know, so that's what I mean. Like it, it's managing that and making sure, you know, health wise, you're doing right by them in terms of their, you know, durability and development. Yeah, and with that health again, the starting rotation went from only having the big three names and mixing and matching those final two to this last ten games or so not having any of them, anybody from that projected starting five. I mean, we've known Eliezer Hernandez has been on the 60-day IL. This is his second stint there. Sixo Sanchez underwent his shoulder surgery that before throwing a pitch at, in any sort of live game. Pablo yeah. went on the IL right at the start of – right outside, right out of the All-Star break with the rotator cuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, Trevor, they just put on on Saturday with muscle spasms and Sandy missed time with the bereavement list. He will be back Tuesday to start against the Orioles, but – when you go through a stretch where nine of your first 11 starts outside the all-star break are two by Zach Thompson, two by Braxton Gary, one by Nick Niter, and four bullpen games. And somehow they still found a way and still the numbers still held up in terms of starting pitching outside of that 18 to one game. They did. But I mean, I, you got to give him credit. I mean, I, I look at a guy like Zach Thompson and it's pretty good what he's doing. I mean, to get a 245 ERA, seven starts, he's, he's taking the opportunity and he's run with it, you know, and, and that's what you want to see from some of these guys. But I mean, they've never had the entire season. They've never had their projected starting five, what they ideally wanted, you know, that combination of somewhat established already young arms and guys that were going to come up. And then the sixth though thing really hurts because here's your top prospect who should have already not been a prospect should have come up and had a steady spot in the rotation, but he has a major setback like he did this year. And now you're hoping that by next season, you could get that's, you know, some semblance of the guy you were hoping for, which he can, it could happen, but it, you know what I mean? It stunts the progress one entire season. And and you already had that with COVID. Now, again, it's like, we're, we're still waiting for that, that follow up and continuing to see six though. But again, if a, if a guy like, I keep pointing to someone like Edward Cabrera can come up and now in the second half, of, in the final stretch of the season, that second half, we're already in the second half, yeah. the, the final stretch of the season really come up and not only make his debut, but, you know, get some starts under his belt. That's, those are the kinds of things that are huge for them, you know, going forward. Yeah. We'll talk about Edward a little more, but he's two starts in the AAA. I would imagine once we get through Friday and see where things stand and he gets maybe another start or two in the AAA level, I would imagine there's going to be the move where we'll be seeing him, whether it's at Lone Depot Park or a Major League Baseball road venue. Somewhere. Somewhere, Somewhere. in the majors. Yes. Yep. We'll be seeing him at some point. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, and on the second half, we'll dive into minor league, our minor league update, and then we'll give a little bit of an update on where things stand with MLB draft signings. So on that note, we will be right back. All right, we're back, everyone. So – a lot of minor league stuff to update. No real big name. We're just going to do a bunch of quick hits. Just try to bounce around and talk about as much from each level as possible. Uh, I kind of want to start with double A just because that seems like where most of the main action is. Most of the top prospects are. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, Griffin Conine made his double A debut this week. And it wasn't pretty. 
Mm-hmm. I'll just just to yeah. put it as simple as possible. His final numbers, two for 23. That's an 087 batting average. Yeah. Uh, 12, 12 strikeouts and 24 plate appearances. He went 0 for 5 before getting on base for the first time by drawing a walk. He struck out nine times and was over 12 overall before recording his first hit, which was an RBI double. And then he hit his first home run on Saturday. But the two hits over a span of six games, he obviously was yeah. hoping for a lot more. That's well, that remember last week. That's what yes, we were talking we about. The power is not the power is not the issue. The power is there. It's in between those big power shots that what what happens. And then I think, you know, I think the the transition from one level to another. I kept remember we kept saying I kept asking when are they finally going to move him up from Beloit? And they finally, you know, he, you know, now we finally see it. You know, give him time. It's it's early, but at the same time, you see the potential issue there. The you know that that all or nothing. You know, the high strikeout rate is evident right there. And he's going to need time. He's just going to need time to continue to adjust and continue to do that. And that that's been the case alarmingly enough with two of the most hyped guys in this system, which we're going to get to next. And that's you know good old JJ Blade and the very popular Peyton Burdick. They have both. They've not had good years at the plate in the minors. You know, but they're continuing to plug away. Blade is just under 200 right now, 198. Burdick's which, right in that range too. Burdick is 196. And, you know, you don't want to go by batting average alone, but, you know, again, the power numbers are there. Blade has eight. You know, I don't see Bird. Oh, Burdick has 14. 11 doubles, which is a good sign. He's not just hitting home runs. 12 doubles for Blade, but it's the consistency that you're yeah. looking for. You want to have them continue to get more walks. They are doing that. Burdick especially has 53 on the year, so that's a good sign. But you want to see, I think Bladé, since he hit that, just that terrible patch that we were all alarmed about, it looks like he's starting to get it a little more down there and making a little bit of adjustments. So you hope he can continue to carry that. You know, And both guys, I mean, people were talking about what if, if they saw the majors at the end of this season. At this point, maybe you just keep them down there. I mean, unless, the, unless you really need to call people up, I mean, just continue that development for one for the rest of this season and see if they're ready to go potentially in 2022. Yeah. And you mentioned with, with Burdick as well. He also is on that high strikeout rate, 95 strikeouts and just over 300 plate appearances at about 32% strikeout rate. That's going to need to get cut down as well. Bladez is a little more respectable. It's somewhere hovers around, I think of 24 to 26%, but obviously knowing the guy that JJ is, he's going to want that, even that to get cut down considerably. No doubt. Yeah. On the mound in double A, the latest numbers for both Max Meyer and Jake Eater. Uh, Meyer through 13 starts, he's at a 1.8 ERA, 67 Ks against 29 walks over 65 innings. Eater, mm-hmm. who is now a top 100 prospect by Baseball America, uh, 1.95 ERA, 92 strikeouts against 25 walks and 64 and two thirds. Again, both of them just chugging along as we expected. Mm-hmm. And who knows, potentially a bump up to AAA once we get into these final, as we get into these final seven, eight weeks, especially once draft class gets signed and we and players started to get moved up, moved up the chain to get some of these these new draft signings into into the system. Yeah. And maybe not the end. Again, I don't know, maybe down the end of this season, but it's good to see because Jake Eater will be in the majors next year if this keeps up easily. And whether it's in the pen or whether it's as a potential pushing for a rotation spot. But I don't think you you have to look at it like him being in the pen is such a dirty thing, at least at first. Just get him him in there. I mean, you need. That's how Jordan Holloway got in. That's how Jordan Holloway broke into this. Absolutely. So I think think that this is a welcome sign. I think, you know, he deservedly so that B.A. has pushed him into there. You know, 
higher up on their rankings because he's had a great year. He really has. He's done. He's developed well. And I'm glad he got the shot at the Futures game after we had, where we had talked about him deserving to be there. And when it comes to Max Meyer, this is what you hope for. You hope that, and you want to see even more. You want to continue to see it because this is a guy that you hope will be in their rotation sooner than later. And the way this season's gone, you know, again, you know, put Mike Hill's old quote on, on Mount Rushmore, put it on a pillow, put it on a frame, whatever you want, because it has come true where you definitely need those layers and layers. Yep, layers and layers. You can never have enough starting pitching. Michael Hill, every GM ever. <laughs> Long dash. Yep. Uh, yeah, every GM ever, true. Yeah, but yeah. but definitely. I mean, it, it's proven time and again, especially this year, where guys keep dropping like flies in this rotation. Yeah. And now to move up to the AAA level, um, before we get to the guys specifically who are playing there, uh, catcher Nick Fortes got the promotion up from double A AA to triple A. He's been interesting. The, yes. Yeah. He's been the main guy behind the plate with that double A staff, the staff that's included Max mm-hmm. Meyer all year, Jake Eater all year, Edward Cabrera. Once he finally finished with rehab, who's Edwards now in triple A and got a couple of starts with the other 2020 college draft guys, Zach McCambly and uh, Kyle Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the, he, with the promotions of some of the Marlins recent guys, he's cracked their top 30 by MLB pipeline. He's number 30 in the Marlins prospect list. And his numbers this year, he was hitting 251 in double A, which is where a lot of the top pitchers are. 23 yeah. RBI, 21 runs scored, three home runs over 57 games. Behind the plate, he only had, I think it was four errors. And mm-hmm. he caught 21 of 67 potential base dealers, 31% rate, which is above his career rate, which is about 25%. So, a guy we haven't talked about much because, again, he hasn't really been one of those on the radar because we haven't really think about the Marlins catching depth outside of Will Banfield. Right. Right. But he's had a quietly pretty good season to this point. Very very interesting prospect now. And now you can, you know, certifiably call him a prospect. Now he's even more so. But, you know, good for him. This is one of these guys. I, I remember seeing him when I would when I'd go to the low minors team sometimes. And you always see – especially for a franchise that's so right now catching deprived overall. And you don't even know, obviously, you know, what, what their major league situation, a catcher is going to be in the near future. This is huge. If he is one of these like diamonds in the rough that just comes in out of nowhere. And, and, and you, you like seeing a guy like this who's under the radar. He's not a ranked prospect, but he's continued, like you said, slowly developing. And this is very important. He has caught that, that note you said about catching all of these pitchers at that level. What if Nick Fortes, people that you want to laugh at it, laugh at it, but what if he ends up, I don't know if from 2022 or 23, what if he ends up at least, if not the starting catcher, maybe the backup catcher of this franchise, and he knows how to handle all those arms exactly. once at the major league level? That would be tremendous and such a huge leap for them. I know they drafted catchers this year with Mac and those guys, but what if you already have that kind of depth in between you know, say, and put them out and put them in there. That That's a tremendous plus. I mean, that could be one of the steals without even trying this year where there's suddenly you have a gem like that just come out of nowhere and really kind of give you at least a little bit of depth at a position that's been pretty barren overall in the farm system. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting development. And I'm he's one of the guys I'm going to be keeping my eye, my eye on over the next few weeks up in AAA. Uh, and speaking of AAA, they've had a pretty good week at the plate over this last week. Uh Four of their four of their position players had batting averages over 300 this week. Uh, starting with Corey Bird, went eight for 16 Corey with Bird. a triple, a home run, and five runs. 
infielder Joe Dunan, who got a lot of spring training hype. Uh, we talked about him even a few years back. Uh, he mm-hmm. went 333, 6 for 18. He had two doubles, a home run, five RBI. Brian Miller, another one of their older prospects, was a top 30 prospect back in the day before they overhauled the system. Uh, he hit mm-hmm. 400 last week, 8 for 20 with three doubles. And then Bryson Brigman continues his tear. He went 348 last week, 8 for 23 with a triple. Yeah, good for Brigman because, you know, he had sort of slipped under the radar a little bit in the last year or so. And I know he had some injuries, I believe, that, that – as well, or, or on injury, I'm saying, but you know, good to see him get a, get his bat going there. Corey Bird is again similar to Fortes, another guy who's been in the system a while, and you know, making some strides. And then we'll see. Again, it's another outfielder option potentially down the road that you can at least consider, maybe look at. With Denand, yeah, we were hoping, we were hoping maybe that this was the year that maybe he get a run, finally make it up, and and you never know. I mean, again, down the stretch at the major league level. If they if they go on a on a trade blitz this week, they're going to need bodies. They're going to need guys to to fill in those spots. You know, eat innings, play some. You know, play in the infield down the stretch, that sort of thing. So, again, they could call a number of players like these, not just the one, not just the big time prospects that are ranked, but even some of these guys that provide some valuable organizational depth may come up, and you never know, they might have a shot. Yeah, Duyan seemed like he would could have been potentially a guy earlier in the year, but. I think it was second or third game into the minor league season. Dealt with either it was an arm injury. I don't remember exactly. It was elbow or shoulder going for yeah. a diving play, and he he missed a couple months. So he's finally just getting back into looking like the guy that the Marlins saw in spring training that that sort of started to turn heads. And like you said, come mid August, mid August, someone they need a body. They they've got the options now to transition back to the lower levels. Here comes the interesting dynamic. Uh, we'll start in Beloit where Victor, Victor Mesa, he started the season mm-hmm. in double a, he got demoted down to class a advanced Beloit had a great week this week. He hit three thirty three, six for 18, three doubles, four walks. Good to see some steadiness from him there. But if you look one level lower and you see his younger brother, Victor Mesa jr. Had an even better week and has mm-hmm. had an even better season. Victor Mason Jr. this week went 429, 9 for 21, three doubles, four RBI, five runs scored. And he has at least one hit in 12 of his last 15 games and has been basically the catalyst of that Jupiter Hammerheads offense. It's almost a matter of time. And we talked about this off camera, off, off record, off the recording last week. It's only a matter of time before Mesa Jr. One, catches up and potentially yep. passes his older brother at this one, point. One ship passes the other, or the one one car passes the other on the highway. Yeah, it's happening. It's gonna ha- it's gonna happen, I think, because I mean, this is something that let's go back to that day in the room with with when Mark Anthony was there and everything, and they were getting signed and all that. We were all there in the big something. I, something that stuck with me was that Victor Jr. was going to be raised in baseball terms here in the States. He was going to see this kind of competition. He was going to see this kind of pitching since he was 17 years old. The, the, the opportunity that his older brother didn't get, his older brother more formed already as a baseball player in his early 20s, it was going to be a little harder. And it has been. It's been very hard for him to adjust. Now the demotion, yeah, it was a good week, but you're doing it against a little bit lesser pitching does he stay doing that? You know, is it maybe, you know, just a kind of a wake up call to get it? I don't, I, mean, I don't believe in that. I think that's, 
this is the players that they are. I think it's more about, you know, on the field baseball adjustments and it's been a struggle. It's really been a struggle because you, you're used to not seeing this type of level of pitching for the first 22 year, you know, 22 years of your life, the first, whatever you want to call it, 16, 17 years of playing baseball. Even Victor Jr. had to make that adjustment too. But being a little younger, he's had all these years now in the minor leagues and you're starting to see it. And I think, you know, he, his natural talent is kind of taking over. I mean, how good of a player he could be if he makes the major leagues, we don't know. But I think his his path was always where he was. I thought he was going to have a little better of a track record, a little better experience that was going to help mold him to have a better chance at reaching. And I think now after how long has it been now? Three years? Yeah. We're finally seeing it come to fruition where where uh, little bro is is going to be closer to the major leagues than than, than older bro. And, and I mean, wow. I mean, you, you, you could end up having spent $6 million to get, you know, to really get your money's worth out of junior and maybe some, you know, some street cred, I guess you could say for on the international market when they started making a push there again, as they have in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said with the street cred, that was their first big move. They made some moves with some, some other signings and a few of them finally getting to make their pro ball debut uh, down in the, Florida Complex League, the league that we used to know as the Gulf Coast League, they decided to rebrand it this mm, year. Gotcha. It completely threw me off when people <laughs> were using FCL to reference the minor league. Like, yeah. yeah. I was like, FCL? What? And so, yeah, the GCL is now the FCL for those who need to update their, their acronyms. Uh, but to recap a couple of those guys, uh, Jose Salas, one of their main signings from their yes. last draft class, uh, he entered Monday – in the rookie league, I'm just going to call it rookie league because FCL still just go. Yeah. League. yeah, yeah, 389 batting average, 492 on base percentage through his first 16 games. He yeah. reached safely in all 15 games. He started seven multi hit games, so he's their main guy. Ian Lewis is playing in there. His numbers aren't as great, but he's but he's there. That's he's, good. He's, he's there. The clock, uh, the clock has started on on him there. That's yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. And if I'm right, Giddy Cape, I believe is over in the Dominican summer league. I haven't Human had a signee, chance. Yep. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to look at those numbers yet, but the fact it's good that he's getting his pro ball stuff and getting his feet Absolutely. wet now. But yeah, solace to me is the main one. I remember seeing him when they did their signing and he was at the ballpark and. I like solace a lot. Let me tell you I, from the research I, I did last year when I was writing for BA, like to me, he could be their future second baseman come maybe 2024 around that time, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, he could be a shortstop too, but you know, now we've seen what jazz has done. You you think that spot's maybe a little more stable. We'll see, but he could definitely, I mean, and he's not as fast. He's more of one, you know, he projects his body type and then speed and everything kind of projects a little more, put him on that side of the middle infield. I could totally see him, you know, if not Devers or someone like that. But I think I like Salas. I like Salas's bat. I like what he can bring to the table in the future. So it's good to see that he's finally, uh, you know, stateside and getting his first licks in there uh, in the rookie league. That's that's definitely progress. Yeah. And then one more player to highlight note of in Jupiter with the Hammerheads, Yuri Perez, 18-year-old writing. Yeah. He's down before 6'8". <laughs> His fastball touches 97, and he had another solid start Saturday. Five scoreless innings, gave up two hits, no walks, struck out nine. On the season, uh, 209 ERA, 60 Ks against 17 walks, over 43 innings. Pone's range is 182. Uh, Marlins development staff really likes this kid. And, and should. For yeah. good reason. I mean, again, he has the size, his delivery, 
from the couple outings I've got to see live in person. His delivery is repeatable. His arm slide is basically almost identical for all for all three of his pitches, yeah. which gives you that little bit of deception. Yeah. And the fact he he already has that in development and at a somewhat advanced age at 18 years old, that's just that's another plus there. And for and for a kid that's all with that kind of body frame, like that's important to see those mechanical you know components of his delivery are really strong. And you know you hope it's going to come down to obviously command like with any pitcher. But the secondary stuff is what you really want to see if he can continue to develop that because the, the velo's there. And like you said, that's going to help him in terms of keeping throwing batters off because they're not going to know which pitch is coming if he can keep his delivery that that sound and that deceptive. That's big. I mean, this is another guy that looked like a sleeper. As soon as, you know, he, as soon as they he got they got them got him in the system, that was going to be someone that you had to keep an eye on just because the 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 enticing just the whole package see, it just looks like, oh, wow, you know, 6A kid that can pitch like that could be good. Yeah. And now the shift from minor leagues, we're going to wrap up really quickly with some draft talk. Uh, the Marlins have signed 10 of their 11 picks from the first two days. Mm-hmm. The only one missing is the big one, 16th overall pick, Khalil Watson. It was always expected he was going to be the last one to sign just because the Marlins needed to figure out their bonus pool situation before by signing everybody else who's impacts the pool before getting to him at this point with everybody else from the round, the collect, the competitive balance round two, round 10 signed the Marlins have just over $4 million in their bonus pool left. You're able to go up to 5% above what your overall bonus pool was in terms of giving signing bonuses out without losing a future draft pick. So with that, the Marlins can give Watson up to, I believe it's somewhere between 4.5 and 4.6 million before without having to sacrifice a draft pick or say, yeah, we can't sign you. Yeah. And considering the draft slot was about three, seven, five, they're giving him close to about 800,000 over slot right now, mm. which, yeah. and especially with him being a high schooler, his, he has, he does have some leverage, but the also, he, it's the point of if he doesn't sign now, he has to wait three years. Right. And so with that, Deadline NC is August, yeah. NC State. The deadline is August first. They have until so that they have until Saturday to get the deal done, or sorry, uh, yeah, Sunday to get the deal done. But and I fully anticipate being happening. It may be closer to that, closer to those final minutes. But yeah, I anticipate that the deal is going to get done. Yeah, I mean they're not undercutting him. Could it have been a little better, maybe? But at the same time, it's a good, you know, solid contract that you know you hope the kid maybe considers it if not you know i'm so sorry wolfpack fans if anybody's out there listening to this it sounds like you're not going to get them and but beyond watson it is good that they sign because you know it's not never guaranteed in your top 10 rounds that you're going to lock up all every single guy you draft so that's big that they've been able to to do something like that i saw hunter purdue was one of the uh yes, one was. of the 10 guys that signed you know with the martin so he will be leaving tallahassee for sure to be in uh, your neck of the woods somewhere in the state. Yep. Yeah. Mostly almost everybody who signs don't report to Jupiter first. They're going to do some workouts there and then decide where they're going to have everybody go. Yep. I would assume all of the, the high schoolers or the lower drafted college guys are going to go to that rookie league with the new acronym. While <laughs> some of the top, well, some of the top guys are going to have a chance to go straight into Jupiter. I would anticipate Tanner Allen, the Miss fourth round pick out Mississippi state going straight up to straight up to the hammerheads. Cody Morissette, the second round pick. I would imagine him going there. Or would Joe Mack probably end up also? 
Uh, I think they'll start him off in the rookie league. In the rookie get, league? Yeah, just get, him, get, com- him, yeah, get him, yeah. him comfortable, get, get him used to the routine. And then, Plus he can start catching yeah. some of the guys that are also in that, in exactly. that level some, too. Exactly, some, and that level, some of the guys in that draft class. And with and then with that, talking about Joe Mack, that transitions into our final bit. Uh, Joe Mack and Cody Morissette, the Marlins competitive balance pick and second round pick, were at Marlins Park on Friday. They After they signed, they got to do the whole walk around the ballpark, meet Derek Jeter, meet Kim Ang, meet, meet Don Mattingly. And to a lesser extent, meet with us, the media. I know that was probably the highlight of their day. Much lesser extent. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The, hey, we know you're celebrating, but can you give us four minutes of your time? And can we party poop uh, what you guys are doing right now by asking you a bunch of questions? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, here are those questions that we asked both Cody Morissette and Joe Mack and just their thoughts on how the draft process unfolded, what they feel like they bring to the organization and just, their excitement to get their professional career started. So with that said, here is first Cody Morissette and then Joe Mack. What was that moment like when you were drafted? You know, it was uh, one of the coolest moments of my life. It's been a dream of mine since I could hold a baseball bat. And, you know, I saw Miami call my name. Couldn't be more excited. You know, can't wait to get to work now. What's the experience been like so far here at the ballpark? No, uh, this place looks a lot better than it does on TV. Like, I didn't know what to expect when I got here. And, you know, everything's been unbelievable. And, again, I can't wait to start playing baseball. How surreal has it been since draft day? You know, it hasn't really set in until now. Like, this is the first time it's really like, wow, I get to play professional baseball. So, you know, I'm really excited. Now that you have the deal signed, how ready are you to get going and actually get back on the field? You know, I can't wait to get to Jupiter in the next day or two and, you know, get to work again. Uh, I haven't played baseball in a couple months since the college season ended. So, you know, I'm just excited to get back on the field and, you know, get to work. For fans who are wanting to get to know you, describe yourself as a player. You know, uh, I'm a guy that's just going to show up every day, work hard, and do what the team needs me to do to win baseball games. That's all I really care about is winning games and uh, playing the game the right way. Did you uh, play against or with any of the other Marlins that were drafted this year? I have not played with or against any of them, but I do know a couple of them from uh, just watching them on TV. So, you know, I'm really excited to uh, meet them, get to know them, and work with them. What did you know about the Marlins organization, just the state of it at the moment, you know, before getting drafted or afterwards? You know, I know they have a really young, talented team right now, and you know they've—I heard they have a really good organization. I've, you know, I did my research before the draft, and uh, you know I'm really excited to get put into this and really get to work and see what I can do. We saw you talking to uh, Miguel Rojas a couple of minutes, uh, a couple of minutes ago, and you're an infielder. He's a shortstop. So how yeah. cool was that for you? You know, it's it's always cool speaking big leagues. It's always cool picking their picking their brains. You know, because you can always learn something new. So it's cool getting to meet him. I got to watch him play last night, and uh, it was really cool just. Uh, hearing what he had to say and, you know, excited to learn from the next couple of years. Did he have any advice for you? He said enjoy the moment. You know, that's what, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I know it's, it's all crazy. This is new to me. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to enjoy every second of it before I uh, go, go to work. Uh, what favorite players growing up and anybody you tried to emulate your game after as you were starting your career? You guys are going to call me crazy for this one, but uh, Joe Panic. Real? Yeah. So uh, he played baseball with my cousin back when uh, he played at St. John's. So when I was eight years old, I used to go down to all their games and, I actually met him for the first time there. My cousin was like, this kid's going to be a big leaguer. So, you know, I always watched him play. I followed his career, and, you know, how, how crazy. Everything came full circle to right now he's on the Marlins, and I just got drafted by him. Did you talk to him today? I have not talked to him yet. I'm hoping he comes out of BP and, you know, I get to, get to talk to him. Do you have any former teammates from college and pro ball that have given you advice over the last couple of weeks or any guys you're really close with in pro ball now? Uh, you know, uh, Justin Dunn was a former uh, – 
player at BC, and you know, him and Chris Shaw have reached out to me and just given me little pieces of advice on uh, what I have to do to be prepared every day, and you know, just to work hard and enjoy each day, not not rush the moment, just enjoy each moment. Yeah. What's the biggest strengths and weaknesses of your game, especially when you go to pro ball now that you really want to work on it? Uh, you know, I, I feel like I can hit. I can really swing a baseball bat, and that's definitely a big strength in my game. And, you know, something that I really pride myself on is making winning plays. So, you know, a weakness of mine, I, I hope I can continue to get stronger, better. And I can always improve on any aspect of my game. So, you know, just improving on making myself a complete baseball player will be the best thing for me. Have they given you any indication where you're going to start? Do you anticipate playing this summer, though? Um, definitely going to work out in Jupiter. They haven't given me any indication on where I'm going, but, uh, you know, I'm just excited to uh, get down there. And, you know, I just signed a contract, so I don't know where I'm going yet, but uh, this is pretty cool. Was it, you got your family here as well? Yeah, I got uh, my mom, dad, and uh, my girlfriend from home, Alexis, is here. So. What's it been like sharing this experience with them? You know, they, they've they honestly been uh, asking me if it feels real yet, because they, they've been, uh, it's been a little surreal for them, they, they don't know how to handle it, but uh, it, it's hitting me now, so I'm excited to do something that's actually happening. It's been a cool experience with them, they've been through everything with me, you know, family's really important to me, so. I'm excited to share this moment. Hey Cody, uh, who's the best swing in the house? Maybe uh, somebody else. Who's that one over there. <laughs> my mom. My mom's got the best swing in the house. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to catch it. Yeah. Still trying to catch it. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of me, uh, you know, for a bit. So, uh, that you may have been a play or two on your pickleball. You may have gone awry a little in the stands. <laughs> I, I heard a story about that, and uh, I just wanted to know your relationship with your former coach. Uh, you know, Coach Gambino was. Uh, he was like a second father figure to me. Like I went to school, he took care of me, he made sure I was I was always uh, in the right state. So you know, uh, I couldn't be happier. I got to experience him, and uh, can't thank him enough for everything he's done for me. Take us back to draft night. What was going through your head when you heard your name called? Um, uh, the most amount of thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when I got my name called, it was just an overwhelming feeling of joy and um, just such an amazing feeling to be able to be a part of this organization and have my name called on that stage. Um, I'm really excited that I'm getting this opportunity and, and I'm able to be a part of the Marlins organization and um, this is just a dream come true and I can't wait to get to work. Has it sunk in yet? Um, kind of. It's still getting there. Um, I mean, I know that this is now my life and it's going to be an amazing thing and I love it every day. Even I love baseball every, every day more than I did the past day, so I'm gonna just going to keep loving the sport, keep playing it, and um, see where it takes me. What do you love most about the sport? Everything. Um, <laughs> I mean, baseball is just the greatest sport ever invented, so um, <laughs> it's just an amazing feeling to catch a baseball, throw a baseball, hit a baseball. Um, it's just no other feeling like that in any other sport. What's the experience been like so far here today? Um, it's been amazing. Uh, I mean, my, my family... Um, it's just an amazing. It's just an amazing feeling to be a part of this, and just to be here right now, standing on this field, um, watching these guys play, meeting them, is just an amazing feeling. And I'm extremely, extremely blessed and extremely thankful for this opportunity. We saw you talking to Don Mattingly. What did he have to say to you? Um, he said he, he's uh, super excited and he's ready to get to work. So um, I mean, I'm right there with him. I'm ready to get to work. Can't wait to start. Um, sign me up. So let's go. Did you get a chance to meet Derek Jeter yet? I did. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah, what he's, was that interaction like? Uh, it was it was sweet. Yeah, he's a little taller than I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was pretty fun meeting him. Um, I mean, he's been an idol to me. Um, my my family really loves him. We watch him play all the time. 
when we watch highlights and stuff and just to be able to meet him is just an amazing experience and it's just so cool to be a part of. How would you describe yourself as a player? Um, I would describe myself as a player as hardworking, determined, and um, a leader. I feel that um, my job behind the plate is to lead the field and help bring as much success as I can and um, just have fun playing. You played other sports. Uh, what maybe transferred over some of those skills to baseball for you? Um, I played volleyball and basketball. So um, basketball helped me a lot with my uh, stamina and my endurance. And volleyball helped me a lot with my jumping and um, just kind of my quick quick reaction muscles. So um, both those sports really helped a lot and kind of developing the player who I am. So, you know, they say uh, the more you, the more sports you play, the more it helps other sports. So it's just just those sports really helped a lot, and I enjoyed playing them both. So growing up, oh, sorry. The atmosphere, like, actually, it's at the MLB it was yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, I knew I knew a bunch of guys down there. Um, me and Chase were together, and we had a blast there. Um, I mean, it was just it was such a relief to um, be there and just have my family there to support me and go through it with me and be able to experience that with me. So, John, say growing up in Western New York, it's not necessarily a hotbed for baseball. But at what point in recent years did you realize that this dream of yours could become a reality? And on top of that. When did you start to hear the rumors that being a first-round pick could be plausible for your situation? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, up in New York, it's it's cold basically three-fourths of the year, so it's not the most ideal baseball weather, but I always find a way to do something in my house or I go to Hot Corner, Ronnie Burnick's place, and we train all the time every day. And, um, I mean, I'm just really excited for it. Um, for the next step in my life to be here and be able to be part of this. So, yeah, it's an amazing feeling. Uh, upstate New York, Yankee fan, I'm guessing. So Derek Jeter, Don Mattingly, pretty cool first day, huh? It's 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 a great first day. I mean, um, to be honest, I really I really uh, didn't have a, a, a favorite team, but I really liked a lot of players, and Derek Jeter um, and Dom was definitely uh, one of them, or both of them. So it's just an amazing an amazing experience to meet them and be able to talk to them about this and just be able to share a moment with them. Anybody you emulated growing up? Um, like you know, you model yourself after kind of. Um, I well, I watched a lot of a lot of people play over the years. Um, I mean, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, definitely. Um, they're one of the two best players in the league, so I model myself after them, and um, hopefully one day some people will model themselves after me. So, what about yeah, behind yeah. the plate? Behind the plate, um, a little bit of Yadier Molina and um, um, what's that guy's name? Um, he's on the Rays. Uh, Zanino, Mike Zanino, yeah. Both of them, I model myself after them, so it's very good. They're both really exceptional players. How did you get into pitching? Um, it was about when I was nine. Uh, I, my, my catch, I was playing on a Little League game, and my catcher wasn't really doing the best job, so I just told my coach, stick me behind the plate, and it just kind of stuck ever since. Have you had a chance to meet any of the guys in the team? Yeah, I got to meet Miguel Rojas, and he's 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 a great guy. Uh, lots of positive energy, uh, really excited. Um, I mean, it's just an amazing experience just being able to meet them and be on this field and just be here. What advice did he have for you? Um, he he told me that um, he told me to stick with baseball, obviously, and just keep going, keep grinding, no matter what happens, just keep working, persevere, and just get through it.
So. All right, and that's going to do it for this episode of Fish Bites. Next week, we will recap everything that came out of the trade deadline and talk about where the Marlins go from here over their final two months of the season. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, and we'll be back again next week.